0: the teams you care about when you think about the patriots needs this offseason look for one trait explosiveness the stories that matter to you i'm not convinced that ben shungu that he's not the league player of the year this is your home for new england sports bobby dahlbeck playing third base this year now that is interesting. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show live at it again here on a Wednesday on WDEV, AM, and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We're up until 6.45 today. Then it is high school basketball. Boys playoffs. Playdowns continue. Brent Curtis is on the call. Massisquoi and Montpelier will be in that one. 6.45 pregame, 7 o'clock tip-off. Today's show is entirely dedicated to baseball. And I'm going to put some of my final thoughts on the lockout. I don't know when the next time we're really going to be able to talk about baseball is. So today is, you know, kind of the the last time that I know we're going to be able to have a whole show dedicated to baseball. Buster Olney is going to join me at 545. He usually joins us on Thursday. He's with us today as a special occasion. Tom Karen, Red Sox and Bruins Insider. I spoke to him already today. That interview is already posted on our podcast channel, so you can find it there. We'll play some of that back in this show. I also talked a lot about the NFL Combine with Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio. We're going to use a lot of that tomorrow. So I did. So we got two interviews already in the can today with Freddie and TC, and Buster will be with us live here in about 15 minutes. You can get in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. That's 802 585 Thirty twenty six at your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. You can also comment on all of our uh, all of our live video streams, YouTube Live, Facebook Live, as well, YouTube Live and Facebook Live, as well. So again, get in however you want to get in. Just get in and let's get to it.
1: Five, four, three, two, one, and here
0: we go. The opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber, online at sticksandstuff.com. I want to clear one thing up before I really get into the opening thoughts and before I get into baseball. And I'm only going to say this because it's actually happened to me twice today. I had one person text me and try to give a guest for Vermont Viewpoint. And I had one person text me and tell me that they didn't like something they heard on the station that wasn't said by me. So I'll just say this, and I'm, you know you the people who were texting in, very, very nice people. Some of them have interacted with this show before. The text line is only for the Brady Farkas show. The text line is not a station run text line. It's a te- it's a number specifically run by me. For this show. So if you send this number, 585 3026, if you send it a text, I'm going to be the only one that sees it. Now I can pass your message along if you have a question, comment, or concern. And the person who wants to give a guest to Rick's show, of course, I will pass that along. But I just want people to know that if you're looking for somebody else to see your message, then I'm going to be the only one that does at this number because it's specifically run off of some accounts that I run. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Again, I don't mind people getting in, but if you tell me you don't like something that somebody else said on the station, it wasn't said by me and it wasn't said on this show. So there you go. Pretty Farkas show back at it here on the EV. I think Rob Manfred is getting too much blame. I think that's an unpopular opinion. I don't think a lot of people are saying that, but I think it's the truth. I think Rob Manfred, Major League Baseball Commissioner, is getting too much blame. The most unpopular person in this entire saga has been Rob Manfred. And I don't think that it's all completely warranted. I'm not saying that Rob Manfred is a good guy in all of this, but he's not the biggest enemy of the fans either. I see players saying that Rob Manfred's got to go. I see players juvenilely calling him man clown on social media. I see fans saying that he needs to be fired. And I simply think that the anger here by fans and players alike, I think that it's misguided. Let's understand this. Rob Manfred is the commissioner of baseball. The commissioner of baseball is hired by and works for the owners of major league baseball. He carries water for them. Rob Manfred's an easy target because he's the guy who's front facing. But remember, all he really is, is just a messenger. He's really just a messenger. Rob Manfred, he didn't come up with the proposals that the players didn't like. He didn't come up with the full mindset that the players didn't like. He hasn't been niptucking the players' money or nip-tucking the players on this or that for the last several years. Look, again, he's not innocent. He's not absolved of blame. But he's not the guy who deserves all of your venom. The guy who deserves all of your venom, the people that deserve all of your venom, the collective that deserve all of your venom, the owners should be the recipients of that. Maybe Rob Manfred could have applied a little more pressure. Maybe he could have been a little better in the room with his constituents. Maybe. That's why I'm saying he's not blameless, but he is not the guy who deserves to bear the brunt of this and when i spoke to freddie coleman of espn radio earlier he agreed with me well it's not his fault because he's a mouthpiece for the owners and he's going to do what the owners tell him to do because he knows exactly what this job entails when you become a commissioner of a professional sports league you know that you're speaking for the owners because they're the ones that put you in place yeah exactly I thought that long before I spoke to Freddie this afternoon, he confirmed it. I'm going to ask Buster Olney about it to get a third opinion on it when he joins me here in about 10 minutes. Everybody's mad at at Rob Manfred. I got Virginia in Starksboro making a crude comment on the text line about Rob Manfred. It's not all his fault. It's some of his fault. He's a part of the group who has fault, and he probably could have been better in multiple different turns. But it is not all his fault. He is a mouthpiece, as Freddie said. He is a messenger. Virginia says he gets paid to be a whipping post. Of course it's not his fault. It's not. It's not all his fault. So when I see Marcus Stroman call him man clown, I roll my eyes and say, what, what are you doing? Be mad at the owners. The owners that you play for, be mad at them. They are the ones who created this. Think about this. And this is an extreme example, but I think it's going to paint the picture. When you go to a store and the person who rings you out, the cashier, is some 16-year-old from your local high school. And they tell you they can't do something because it's store policy. Do you really want to yell at them Or do you really want to yell at the manager? Do you really want to yell at the store owner for having that policy? When you yell at the 16-year-old cashier, you are nothing more than a jerk who's looking for a fight. The 16-year-old cashier didn't make the rule. He or she is charged with enforcing the rule, and they might not even know why the rule exists. They just have to say it's company policy. Now, Rob Manfred's not as powerless as the 16-year-old cashier. I get that but it's the same principle. Everybody who's yelling today at Rob Manfred is failing to realize that the owners who he works for are the ones telling him to say these things. The bad speech that Rob Manfred made yesterday that everybody was crucifying on social media, the owners put out all of those talking points for him. He is the messenger. He might not have helped enough to, to avert this, He's certainly not the sole reason, though, that it all happened. Players calling him names, fans calling him names. That's just missing the point. The owners are the bad guys. Your owner and my owner, they're the bad guys. John Henry's in that group. Hal Steinbrenner is in that group. The the Ricketts family with the Cubs. It doesn't matter who you are. The owners are the bad guys. Rob Manfred is part of the owners, so he's in there too, but he's not the only person here. He's the fall guy, but he's not the only person here who is at fault. Uh, I see another text. John Henry might be the uh, biggest loser in the world. I'm mad at John Henry. In my mind, John Henry should have done something. As one of the most powerful owners in the sport, he had the power or he had the voice to say something that people would listen to. And he chose not to. Do you think in the NFL. If Robert Kraft. Said, if Robert Kraft said something. People would listen. If Jerry Jones said something. People would listen. John Henry if he talked. People would listen. And he chose to say nothing. He certainly said nothing publicly. He didn't even show up in Florida. To, at the meetings. And if he was there virtually. We didn't hear about it. John Henry could have done more, John Henry should have done more, and John Henry is as culpable as all the other owners too. It's ridiculous that we're in this situation. John Henry deserves more of of Red Sox Nation's collective anger than, than, than Rob Manfred does. I mean, I gotta say, I saw this tweet from Bernie Sanders earlier, and I know I'm not a political guy, and this isn't a political show, and and half of you love Bernie, and the other half are going to roll your eyes and say that he's some left-wing nut job or something, but his tweet here was very applicable. The 30 Major League Baseball owners are worth over $100 billion. The value of their teams increased by more than $41 billion since they bought them. Don't let the greed of baseball owners take away our national pastime. I don't care what your belief is on Bernie. It doesn't really matter to me. That is a pretty damning statistic, though. The owner's collective value has gone up by $41 billion. And the owners are trying to nickel and dime every penny that they can here. That is why we are in the problem. The owners are the problem. Rob Manfred is just the guy who speaks for the problem. He's not solely the problem himself. I got friends who I love. My best friends are calling for Rob Manfred's job. Like you might not like Rob Manfred, but whoever like, whoever would come in next also works for the owners. I don't know how Adam Silver has become relatively popular, but usually being the commissioner is a thankless job. People hate Gary Bettman. People hate Roger Goodell and people hate, hate rob manfred you know what they all have in common they all work for the owners how adam silver has has uh you know waved the magic fairy dust and gotten people to like him i'd like to know his secret but being the commissioner is a pretty thankless job 802-585-3026 napa morrisville napa waterbury text line we also see uh messages here on the facebook live channel Joe says, disagree, Brady. Manfred is the whole problem. He got exactly what he wanted. I mean, come on. He was smiling when he said the first two weeks were, uh, were going to be canceled or first two series were going to be canceled. Can't blame Madfred. Can't blame Madfred. Manfred reading it wrong. But at the same time, you can't be smiling at a press conference addressing the state of baseball. Look, I, I would agree. I mean, Rob Manfred smiling is not a great look. But again, he didn't create the problem. The people he worked for created the problem i'm going to ask buster Olney that question i don't think rob manford deserves all the venom freddie coleman doesn't think he's all doesn't think he's you know deserves the sole brunt here of everyone's anger what does buster Olney think he's going to join us next right here on the brady parker show on wdev all the insight into everything going on in baseball it's time for our weekly conversation with espn baseball insider and vermont native Buster Olney. I'm just about ready to bet the family farm in Vermont. On the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEB Radio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Continuing our conversation on the Major League Baseball lockout, which is ongoing. We know the first two series of the season have been canceled, and beyond that, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Joining us now, a day earlier than usual, is ESPN MLB insider and Randolph Center, Vermont native Buster Olney. Buster, you've been... You've been calling this for months. You've really been calling this strife for years with me. Um, now that the day is here, are you surprised it actually all happened like this?
1: Uh, yeah. It, and it's funny you were saying that. I'm like, yeah, yet I found myself uh, at 5 o'clock yesterday, listening to Rob Manfred announce the cancellation of those first two series and just thinking of one phrase, and that is dumb, smart people. Mm. Like, I'm sure that there are some analysts on the owner's side uh, is they explained, you know, what the rationale behind uh, moving parts of their offers only incrementally, and how this could make sense, and and uh, you weigh that against the risks, and the numbers could add up, and, and I just was thinking, you, you don't get it. Like it's it's a mistake made by dumb smart people that they're looking at, uh, you know, this, they're getting caught up in the in the weeds and in the math and they're not looking at the situation from 30,000 feet and understanding exactly how much damage they're going to be doing to their product.
0: Buster, Monday night, there was a lot of optimism. I stayed up until 1.30 in the morning, refreshing Twitter every two seconds. I went to bed with a lot of optimism. I thought a deal was going to get done yesterday. I told people a deal was going to get done yesterday. Was that real optimism, or was it manufactured?
1: Well, um, I think there... You know, it's based on the fact that in negotiations, you know, both sides have to move. The fact that we saw some movement finally made you feel like, you know what, cooler heads are prevailing. The two sides might be looking at each other saying, oh, my God, the other side is serious and they might actually play a game of chicken. And then that they would, you know, move toward the middle. Um, but here's what happened is that after there was movement on Monday, there was basically no movement yesterday. And when you looked at the final numbers, you know, the the, the competitive balance tax, and I don't want to go too deeply in the weeds because it makes people's eyes glaze over. Um, The competitive balance tax in 2021 was 210 million. The owners wanted to move it to 220. The the players wanted it higher than that. And for the next three years, the owners weren't going to change the numbers. I thought, uh, as we woke up yesterday morning, okay, this is the moment that the owners will take a big stride toward the middle. And they needed to be the side that did that because they've gained so much financial ground since that wipeout labor deal in 2016, and they didn't. And it's why at the end, you know, the players uh, felt very cynical uh, about the whole situation. They felt like the owners had created a false sense of optimism, uh, knowing that they were going to you know, like, uh, the old, uh, Snoopy cartoons <laughs> where Charlie Brown cartoons where, you know, Lucy pulls the football away from Charlie Brown. That's how the players felt yesterday. So I think your sense of optimism, uh, was justified. I know I had a little bit of it too. I was on Sports Center yesterday saying the ball kind of at the 30 yard line moving toward the goal line. Um, but in the end, it was, you know, it was three and out from the owner. Yeah. Uh, following that situation
0: you know buster i see players on social media just ripping rob manfred calling him names i see high level players doing it i see lower level players doing it and i see a lot of fans ripping rob manfred too is rob manfred the the guy to blame here or is he just the messenger for the owners who's taking the blame
1: that's exactly right the latter for sure uh that you know and i when i see that reaction to rob on social media, I feel like saying to the players, you're kind of playing into this, uh, playing into the owner's hands with the way that you're looking at this. Uh, it's a little bit like yelling at the airline employee at the ticket counter for a policy by, you know, the airline. Yeah. Uh, you know, Rob is, is uh, though he's got that title of commissioner, I think people think of the commissioner as representing the interest of everybody. The fact is, is that his job is to be a lawyer for the owners, and he gets marching order from the owners. He doesn't have power to go into the owners and say, "Okay, this is what our offer is going to be." He's in collaboration with Hal Steinbrenner and Dick Monfort, the uh, you know the Rockies owner. Uh, in previous negotiations, Artie Moreno, he has to work through with the owners on it. So I think you're right. Uh, But you know what? I mean, players need to focus their anger on somebody, I guess.
0: Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. You alluded to it a moment ago. The biggest issue still appears to be that competitive balance tax. And Max Scherzer, one of the highest player reps yesterday, said that he doesn't think that the league needs the competitive balance tax anymore. Do you think there needs to be some mechanism in place to, to curb spending? I do think
1: that at some point, it's interesting because on one hand, uh, you know, the players talk about, uh, you know, having competitive integrity. Well, the fact is, is that if you took away some sort of curb on, uh, and I'm not necessarily endorsing the curbs that were, uh, you know, suggested by the owners, but if you don't have some sort of curb in place, let's face it, it's possible that we'd wind up with a situation where the Yankees would be spending six or seven times what the Tampa Bay Rays spend. That's not great for baseball and that's not great for competitive integrity i think there are a number of different ways to get there um and and i don't really feel like they've been fully explored and you know i'm going to work on a piece for free espn.com about this that i do think in this time clearly the sport's going to be shut down i hope everybody involved in negotiations takes a hard look at you know their own actions in terms of what you know potentially could get better i think it'd be great if the union were to take a look uh at some sort of floor and cap system to compel teams like the Orioles to spend money. Some of these tanking teams. So the the proposals put forth by the owners uh that the players have been talking about over the last week, they didn't really address tanking. And that, you know, at the beginning of this, that was the conversation. How can we get the sport beyond tanking?
0: Yeah, salary cap, salary floor is something that is. It's easy for me as a fan to understand why it would be good all around. The players don't like a salary cap because you know it limits their earning potential. Are the owners in favor of? Like, I see why the players wouldn't like it. Are the owners and are would the owners be on board with something like that? I assume they wouldn't like the salary floor.
1: No, last summer they actually proposed uh, some sort of a system like that. The players rejected it, you know, based on principle, because as you say, you know, they feel like, well, boy, that's going to limit our necessarily, you know, the size of the contracts we get. Look, I, and I I don't pretend to be a, an economic expert. I don't pretend to know the ins and outs and how the NBA works and the NFL works. Uh, but the NBA, the players have done great with that type of system. It does seem like that there's a way to do it that potentially, you know, not only would help the competitive integrity for all 30 teams, but I think it would help the middle class of players, you know, to keep a system. And, and one of the things I'm going to suggest, and I love Max Scherzer. Uh, I think he's a great person, but I do think it'd be worth Max asking himself the question, uh, you know, is this system good? Yes. He's getting, uh, what is it? $43 million a year, you know, million and a half dollars of start. That's more money than most of the players in his union are making in a single year. Is that necessarily the best possible system? Might work for Max Scherzer, might work for the top 2%, but is that good for the whole rank and file? Is that the best system for the whole rank and file? I don't know if that is.
0: Buster only ESPN MLB insider with us here talking about the continuation of the MLB lockout on the Brady Farkas show. Buster usually with us on Thursday, but today he's with us here on an urgent uh, special edition Buster only Wednesday. Um, I don't know when we're going to play again, but I also, you know, I feel like I don't even know how to ask this question. If, If we lop off 60 games, I feel like most fans ultimately aren't going to care not because they don't like baseball, but because a lot of fans think the season is too long anyways. Like, do you think people would actually be happy if they only played a hundred games? There might be a few
1: fans and there's no doubt. I mean, we saw in the the 2020 COVID season that there is, you know, a greater urgency if you have a season of 60 games or a hundred games. But I I think there are a lot of fans who are going to walk away. And I, you know, much older than you are, And I can remember the spring of '95 when I covered the Orioles for the Baltimore Sun, going to games, you know, after opening day in Kansas City, and seeing all the empty seats, you know, in town after town after town, in ballpark after ballpark after ballpark, uh, where there were just so many fans angry about the strike. It ended that strike, that work stoppage, ended baseball in Montreal effectively. That that uh, you know that franchise never recovered. It took the Toronto Blue Jays twenty years to recover. Um, I think in this case, franchises like the Guardians uh, in Cleveland, that Detroit, Milwaukee, I think the small market, mid-market teams are going to be hit huge by this, uh, this shutdown um, to the degree that I've wondered if uh, you know, some of the small market owners will call off the dogs at some point and say, you know what, this is not good. Because we know, you know the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Dodgers, when baseball returns, People will go back to Fenway Park. Maybe the tenants will be on a little bit, but I think in some of the other less affluent areas where there are teams, I think it could be an, have an enormous impact.
0: Well, Buster, I'll get you out of here on this. Andrew Brandt, uh, sports business expert, done a lot of stuff I've seen over the NFL the last several years. Uh, he said he thinks that cooler heads will prevail here. He thinks the deal gets done by March 15th. Do you see any realistic way that that's, uh, that that's pl- plausible?
1: Uh, and I think he does a great job. I think he's applying normal logic. Yes. <laughs> I, I've told you, I feel like the sport is just swept up so much on management side, with in such a spirit of incrementalism. Uh, they're focused on every digit, and they're not looking at the big picture. Uh, to apply a cooler heads prevail mentality would mean that uh, you know uh, influential forces on the ownership side would step in. And I've wondered, you know, in 1995. Uh, you know, Peter Angelos, the owner of the Orioles, refused to go along the replacement player uh, gambit that the owners tried, and it kind of exposed some cracks. I, I wonder if there's going to be a big market owner, Hal Steinbrenner, John Henry, and a Mark Walters, a Dodgers, somebody stepping forward saying, this is insanity. What are we doing here? Shutting down the sport, this is not good for the product. Some voice like that needs to step forward.
0: Definitely not a good day for baseball. Hopefully there are better days ahead, but we don't know when those better days are coming. Buster only ESBN MLB Insider. Buster, we'll talk to you again next Thursday. Maybe there will be some better news to report, but if not, we can talk about Derek Jeter stepping down and all sorts of other off-topic things I wanted to ask to you about. So we'll talk to you in eight days, no matter what. That sounds great, Brady. Absolutely. Sounds great as well. Buster only traveling tomorrow. So uh, he joined us today. Tom Karen, Red Sox and Bruins insider Nesson. We spoke to him also today. You'll hear some of that in the next hour. But the full interview with TC is available on the show's podcast channel. Frank says it's a sad day when you can't start your season day one. And that's, that's, really, that's really the only reaction to have. We can talk about all the semantics and all the in the weed stuff and all the money stuff and all the labor stuff. At the end of the day, it's just sad. It's just sad that we're supposed to be talking about baseball and we're not going to look. We have plenty of things to talk about. We're going to talk Patriots combined and free agency is going to start and the draft and March madness and UVF. We got Celtics and Bruins and the NHL trade deadline is March 21st. we got all kinds of stuff to talk about. Baseball, should be at the forefront right now at this time of year, and it's not, and that is just sad. The Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line is open 802 585 3026. Thanks to Buster for joining us. A ton of interesting stuff there that Buster said, and he agreed with me on Rob Manford, by the way. Now, he used a different analogy, but really the same thing. He used the airplane, the air, fl- the uh, flight attendant for an airline policy analogy. I use, you know, the 16 year old worker at the retail <laughs> cashier, but. Buster largely in agreement with me on the other side of the six o'clock hour. I want to have the the crew here, cut up some of that Buster interview so we can talk about the idea of a salary cap and a salary floor. What we'll do is we'll step aside. We'll get a national news update from CBS. And then I'll ask this question. It looks like whenever baseball starts again, there's going to be 12 teams in the postseason. I know my answer. Are you okay with that? That's coming up next right here on WDEV AM and FM. Your chance to be part of the show is on the text line at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio. Com. Thanks to Buster Only of ESPN for joining us today. Nick over in Plainfield just messaged me on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line and says, Show has been awesome today. First time in a while I've turned on sports radio and actually learned something. And my first response to that is thank you. My second response is, you probably learned more from Buster than you learned from me. So I'll take that as a compliment to him. And third... If this is the first time you've turned on Sports Radio and listened to some and, or, and and actually learned something, how often are you listening to our show? Are you saying our show is not able to teach any other day, only today? I need some more clarification on that. So, that's uh, Nick over in Plainfield. We get a message on the text line also from an unnamed texter who says, "Can major league players play in Japan? I heard a joke from Bryce Harper about joining the Giants there." That's a good question. In the Major League lockout, Major League players can play anywhere, right? As long as the lockout is going, Major League players can play anywhere. That said, some of those foreign leagues have rules as to how many Americans can actually be on the roster. I believe in Japan, you can have four Americans, and I believe in Korea, you can have three. It might be reversed. It might be three in Korea and four in Japan, but nonetheless those spots are largely already taken at this point. So the idea of Bryce Harper going to join the, uh, the Tokyo giants for, you know, for a period of time, probably not likely as great as it would be to have Bryce Harper. I don't know that, that those teams would cut a player who signed on for them for a year to go and play for, you know, to go bring on Harper for eight games or 10 games or whatever, maybe, but it's unlikely because there are those rules there. And that's not the only place where that exists in Canada you have to have X number of Canadians on your CFL rosters. Like you have to have a certain amount of Canadians there as they want to keep the sport growing on a local level. So their whole roster can't be overrun with entirely Americans on a CFL roster. So yes, major league players can go play somewhere. They can play in Mexico, They can play independent ball. A lot of players, I'm sure, will play in the Atlantic League if this thing really continues on. Um, They're going to do stuff on their own. They're going to organize a players' association. I wouldn't call it game, but like a like a camp over in Arizona and one in Florida. So players are going to do things there. So players can go play other places if they're Latin American. They could play in their own country if there's leagues there. But again, certain players, you know, certain number of Americans. Have to be, you know, or, or can, uh, can only a certain number of Americans can play in Korea and in Japan. So, like Bryce Harper and others might not have as easy a time of getting in there. All right, let's talk about expanded playoffs in Major League Baseball. Because let's be real, most of what the owners and the players have been and continue to argue about doesn't affect you, the fan. Luxury tax, revenue sharing, lottery draft picks. Most of it doesn't affect any of you. And most of you don't really care. Most of you are like, hey, let's just get baseball played and then tell me exactly what went down. What does impact you, the fan, though, is the format of the playoffs. And that's going to change. When this deal gets signed, whenever it gets ratified, we're going to have what I believe is 12 teams in the Major League Baseball playoffs. Now there's 10. Right now there's 10. It used to be eight, right? So now there's 10, three division winners and two wild cards. We're going to get up probably to 12. It looked like that was something that the two sides had agreed upon on Monday night. So I would expect to see 12 teams in the major league playoffs from this year on for the rest of this next collective bargaining agreement, whenever it's signed. So 12 teams in the playoffs, 12 of the 30 are going to make the postseason. How do you feel about that? Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. Also, Facebook Live, YouTube Live. How do you feel about 12 of 30 teams making the postseason? I've heard from people today in multiple spots that are in favor of this. And some of them would have even been in favor of 14 teams making the playoffs. Here's Eduardo Perez, ESPN MLB analyst, former MLB player. He is on board.
1: I would say take the 14 teams. Take it. Why? Because it's worked with the NFL. Why are not we fighting so much about 12 with 14 right. when the thing that makes people nervous and always makes people nervous, if it's in
0: sports, if it's in politics, if it's in business, whatever it may be, is change. Okay, so he would. De- he said he'd take 14, so he'd obviously definitely take 12. Tom Caron, Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nessen uh, and, and so... A 12 team
1: playoff is fine. I, I I would make the argument a 14 team playoff is gonna be would have been fine, uh, even though everybody screams it's too many. But again, why not create more excitement, more playoff opportunities, more team in the hunt? I think that's all good for the game.
0: So they're both on board with fourteen team playoffs. It's probably going to be twelve, so we'll just go there. They're okay with twelve playoff teams also. How do you feel about it? Because for me, I I don't think that this is great for baseball, and I'm surprised to hear that Eduardo Perez and Tom Karen are actually on board with this. I don't think it's great for baseball for a multitude of reasons. Now, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'll just tell you straight up now. I want baseball. I want as much baseball as possible. If 12 teams in the playoffs helps get us baseball, if that's a bargaining chip that people can get around, then... I will ultimately put my tail between my legs and just go home and say, okay, this got us baseball. So I'm fine. So I'd be okay with that if that were the case. So if 12 playoff teams gets us baseball, then I'm good with it. That said, if you're asking me, honestly, I don't think that this is something that's great. It's not something that I love. And here's the, here's multiple reasons why one This makes the playoffs go even longer. When you're adding uh, two more teams per league, you're going to add a whole nother round to the playoffs. And I'm not in favor of the playoffs being longer. October baseball is great. Playoff baseball is great, but I want it to remain in October. I don't enjoy baseball being played in November. And if we're adding more teams and more playoff games and another round, that means that we're going to end up with the world series being played in November, at least in part. And I am not for the world series being decided in part by the weather. Baseball is a, I'm sorry. Baseball is a good weather game. I like to see baseball. I would rather see baseball played when it's 65 and 75 and sunny than I would when it's 32 and windy. And the more games we have in late October and the more games we have world series in November, the weather becomes a story and I don't want it to become a story. When they played the cold weather Super Bowl between Seattle and Denver and New York, you know, it was 48 degrees. So what football is a sport that's meant to be played in the elements like that. Baseball isn't. I'm not looking forward to the idea of the playoffs going even longer and extending even deeper into October and into November and having weather be part of the storyline. 32 degrees and windy at Fenway with rain going, you know, with rain coming down. Not my idea of the World Series that I want to see. So there's reason one. I don't love 12 playoff teams. Reason two. I don't love 12 playoff teams in Major League Baseball. You would be giving out first-round buys to teams for the first time that I can ever remember. And I don't know that that's a good thing in Major League Baseball. If six teams per league, or rather, if 12 teams per league, or I'm sorry, if six teams per league, I might have said that wrong earlier, but it would be 12 total playoff teams, six per league. If six teams per league make the playoffs, here's what we're looking at. You're going to have the two division winners with the best record. They're going to get buys. The one division winner with the worst record, they're going to play in the first round against the th- and the three wildcard teams are going to be there. So the two best records are going to get buys. And I don't know that that's a good thing. We know that the first round buy helps in football. We know that physically... Injury-wise, that first-round buy, preparation-wise, it helps the team in football. In baseball, I don't know that it helps. Baseball is a game that requires rhythm. It requires repetition. That's why baseball is played every day. How does the team do with five, six, seven days off? I don't know that that's a benefit. You work so hard all season to get the number one seed and to have the best record in the American league and you go through the grind of 162 games and man, it's a slog at times you work that hard and then you get to the playoffs, you get six days off and you get bounced because everybody's timing is a little bit off. I don't know that that's a good thing. I don't know that that's a benefit. It helps your starting rotation get in line. That's a, that, that is a positive, but is it a good idea for my bats to be five, six, seven, eight? stays removed from gameplay timing wise? I don't know. Is it good for my bullpen, my rhythm pitchers, my momentum pitchers to have that momentum halted for a week? I don't know because let's just, let's just look at this logically. The regular season ends on Sunday. Then the first round of the playoffs will start on Tuesday, probably a three game series, right? So Tuesday we play Wednesday. We play Thursday. We travel Friday. We play That's game three. Saturday, we travel. Sunday, the next round starts. It's been one week since I've played. That's really good in football. Don't know that it's good in baseball. I don't want to be the test dummy team that gets the number one seed and then gets off, you know, is off for seven days and then gets bounced in the first round. Reason number three, why I don't love 12 playoff teams, six per league in Major League Baseball. It somewhat cheapens the regular season, doesn't, doesn't it? Doesn't it cheapen the regular season to have almost half your league make the playoffs? Baseball plays a lot of games, 162 of them, and my goodness, those 162 games are supposed to really matter. Why? Because making the baseball postseason is supposed to be really hard. 162 games, it's a grind. It's supposed to be difficult to get to October. And now, it's not going to be as hard to get to the playoffs. There will be years where teams with losing records make the Major League Baseball playoffs. And while maybe they won't go on and win the World Series, it certainly will render the regular season a little more meaningless if almost half your league can get in. Look at the NBA. How many of you really care about the NBA regular season. Not many. Why? Half the league makes the playoffs. More than half the league makes the playoffs. It's just seen as just get in and anything can happen. How many times have I heard LeBron say, "Um, that eh, doesn't matter. Just get me in the playoffs. Why Why can NBA players go through all these maintenance days? Why can they skip so many games? Because there's no repercussion. Because, ah eh, I'll sit 20 games. We'll get the four seed instead of the two, but we'll still get in. Do I want that in baseball? The regular season in the NBA is meaningless. The regular season in the NHL is essentially meaningless. Everybody gets in the playoffs. For college basketball, for the high major teams, the regular season is essentially meaningless. It's not about always winning, you know, the conference. What's it about? Get in the NCAA tournament and anything can happen. College basketball is all about the tournament and not about the season. Major League Baseball, the regular season is going to be a lot less important when almost everybody starts to get in. And number four, finally, if almost everybody can make the playoffs, are teams really going to go for it or are our teams just going to be content? What I mean is this. Last year at the trade deadline the Boston Red Sox were a good team, right? A lot of you wanted the Red Sox to go out and make big moves at the trade deadline so they could go try to win the World Series. And you wanted them to go after Max Scherzer and you liked when they went after Kyle Schwarber. You wanted them to go do big things. If the Boston Red Sox if 12 teams last year got in the playoffs, the Red Sox would be pretty much cemented, wouldn't they? They would have gotten in. Maybe they don't do anything at the trade deadline. You know what? We don't want to trade that prospect. We don't want to take on that contract. We're going to get to the playoffs, and that's going to be good enough this year. Do you really want your team to do that? We're talking about more teams going for it, more teams getting competitive. If a team senses like, you know what, we can win 81 games and get in, we're just going to do that. We're not going to go for it and try to go get that bat that can get us 87 wins, that can get us. 90 wins. We're not going to go out and get that arm. We got enough here to get to 83, and that's going to be good enough to get in, and we're cool with that. How many teams will say we got to the playoffs, and that's good enough rather than going the extra mile to try to win a World Series? So that's what I'm saying. I don't know that this is great. I'm not a beggar. I want baseball. If this gets us baseball, I will put my tail between my legs and I will go for it. But I don't necessarily think that it's great for the sport. The NFL added that seventh playoff team in 2020. It's more league revenue. It's more teams in the playoffs. It's a chance to see more good players. I get that. But by and large, those playoff teams are garbage. And those playoff matchups are garbage. Has it really added anything to the league other than giving us something else to watch? No, not really. So uh, there you go. I'll take it. I don't think it's necessarily great for Major League Baseball. All right. It is the Brady Farkas show on WDEV. We're 20 minutes away from high school basketball. Remember, we've got boys playdowns today between Missisquoi and Montpelier. And uh, that coverage begins at 645. Now, let's get to who's saying what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones? Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Parker Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WdeBradio.com Who's Saying What brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash, that central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes, beginning at only $20 a month. If you want one free car wash, you can just text the word VERMONT to the number 30 and then 400. I told you this whole show was dedicated to baseball. I told you I really wanted to get into what Buster Olney had to say to us last hour. The biggest issue for the players and the owners appears to be exactly what we thought, right? We've gone over this, the competitive balance tax. I've bored you with what exactly that is. I'm not going to go through it step by step. The competitive balance tax, that's the biggest thing that has the owners, you know, worried and has the players worried. That's the biggest sticky point. Well, Max Scherzer who's high up in the players association, now a star pitcher for the New York Mets. Here's what he said about the competitive balance tax. Well, we look at the, the competitive ba- balance tax as a breakaway spending mechanism. That's how this thing was ne- originally negotiated when you look at the history of the, of, of baseball here and, and our labor. Um, we're not seeing that function as breakaway spending. We're seeing it act as a salary cap. And no other way can be, can be shown uh, point blank and simple than the San Diego Padres having a higher payroll than the New York Yankees. So Max Scherzer doesn't like the competitive balance tax. Now, let's say. So basically he doesn't want this competitive balance tax to exist at all. If it has to exist, the players want it to be much, much higher. So it doesn't limit their earning potential, but he doesn't want it to exist at all. I've been on the player side throughout this whole thing, but I disagree with Scherzer here. I do believe there needs to be some mechanism in place to curb spending. And Buster only was on us was on with us here about, an hour ago, 45 minutes ago, he agrees.
1: I do think that at some point, it's interesting because on one hand, uh, you know, the players talk about, uh, you know, having competitive integrity. Well, the fact is, is that if you took away some sort of curb, uh, and I'm not necessarily endorsing the curbs that were, uh, you know, suggested by the owners, but if you don't have some sort of curb in place, let's face it, it's possible that we'd wind up with a situation where the Yankees would be spending six or seven times what the Tampa Bay Rays
0: said. I don't want to live in a world where the Yankees can spend six or seven times more than the Rays can spend where the Red Sox can price everyone out of the sport. Now, look, I love the Red Sox. I want them to win the world series for everybody here, but I don't want them to just lap the field because of spending. And I promise you, you all don't want to live in that world either. So, I agree the players deserve more of this lucrative money than they're getting now percentage-wise. Younger players deserve to benefit. The owners don't deserve to, to, to hide all this extra money under the couch cushions for themselves. But I don't think that every big market team should just be free to outspend everybody around the sport with no consequences to it. So I'm not in favor of what Scherzer is saying. I do think there needs to be a mechanism in place. In this era of the competitive balance tax, in this era of non-unlimited spending, the farm system and player development has been really, really important. The Royals have won a World Series with a lot of homegrown players. The Red Sox won a World Series with a lot of homegrown players. The Giants, the same. The Rays got to one with a bunch of homegrown players. The Astros won with a bunch of homegrown players or traded for players with homegrown talent. The Nationals, all these teams won with a lot of homegrown cores. And that concept goes away if a team can just spend as much as they want and can overcome everything that the little guy is doing. So, yeah, there needs to be something. And you talk about competitive integrity. There wouldn't be the competitive integrity if the sport became just the Yankees, Red Sox, and Dodgers outspending everybody. I think it's perfectly fair, as Buster said. I know they're not going to do it. But I think it's perfectly fair to look at a salary cap and a salary floor system. The players won't love it. It will limit their ultimate high-end earnings. But I actually agree with Buster that a salary cap and a salary floor, that is great for competitive integrity, and the players can do really well in that system too. I wish they would look at it. I wish they would think about it. I don't want to limit their earnings massively, but I do think that a salary cap and salary floor would be good for the overall health of the sport. If you force the owners to spend, you will get more competitive teams. You will get more competitive teams. Listen to these numbers. The average Major League Baseball payroll last year, the league average, the median number was $132 million. That was that was the middle of the pack, $132 million. Only two of the teams that spent under the league average made the playoffs. Only two. So, clearly, there is a benefit to the teams who spend money. The teams who spend money and invest, they did well. The teams that didn't, didn't do well. If, let, if there was a minimum in place, let's just call it $100 million. Okay, I'll call it $100 million. Ten teams spent under $100 million last year. Ten of them. Or, no, 12 of them, rather. Twelve teams spent under a hundred million dollars if you force them all those 12 all up to 100 million what would we get you would create more teams getting more good solid veteran players instead of playing with the 23 year old who's going to be a career minor leaguer at third base now we're signing the 29 year old free agent to a 10 million dollar deal and that guy is a lot better instead of our fifth starter being a guy Who's going to get hit around and have an ERA of nine is going to be shuttled back and forth between Boston and, and Pawtucket or Boston and Worcester. Now you can go get a real fifth starter who's making $7 million instead of the league minimum. I mean, this is what we're looking for. This is what a salary floor would do. You are bringing up. All the teams that aren't trying, you're putting them in a position to have to spend, to have to try, to have to get better. And that would help out the veteran middle class. These players that are being you know, thought of as too old and not worth the money, they would have a place again. Kyle Seager is 34 years old. He hit 30 home runs last year for the Mariners. drove in 100 runs. He retired this offseason. Why? Because... The really good teams probably didn't need him because they were already really good. The really bad teams don't want him because he's too good for them and he would make too much money. So what are his options? Go be a bench player on a really good team and make $4 million or go be a veteran mentor on an awful team who gets underpaid too. So that he retired. Guy hit 30 home runs and drove in 100 runs last year. He retired. He shouldn't have to do that. The sport should be in a better spot than that. They should treat players like that better. If you force teams to spend money, then guys like that will have a job and teams will get better. You'll create more competitive teams, more competitive balance, more money for the veteran middle class, and then you'd get more teams bidding for free agency. There'd be more general interest, more teams going forward in trades. I mean, we're talking about 12 playoff teams getting people to go for it and getting people interested. Well, if you force teams to spend money, 12 teams spent under $100 million last year. 12. The league average was 132. I think the Orioles spent like $40 million. And coincidentally, they finished in last place by about a zillion games. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of seeing that. So again, I get it. The players probably won't go for it. They they want the freedom to to make forty million dollars a year as players, but the NBA is doing well. The, the cream of the crop in the NBA, they're getting theirs. You know who's also getting theirs? League average players. They're getting theirs too. So there's got to there's something to it. NBA guys are doing just fine with a salary cap league. There's got to be a way to do it right. Salary cap, salary floor. I think that that would help. I don't know what the number should be. The players should be able to get theirs, but a salary floor would go a long way as well. It's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. All right. Mm, Do I have time for this on the other side of the commercial break? I believe that I do. There was one other piece of negotiation that major league teams wanted. I'll tell you why. I think you're going to hate it. I actually liked it. That's next on DEV. This is Freddie Coleman of ESPN, and you're listening to Brady Farker show right here at WDEV and WDEVradio.com. Thank you very much, Freddie. I spoke to Freddie today. That interview is available on the podcast channel. You'll hear some of it tomorrow as well. You can download the full show podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Major League Baseball allegedly wanted, as part of these negotiations, to discuss a pitch clock and alterations or the way a way to legislate the shift. Good. Good. For all the things that baseball's done wrong over the last months and years, this is a good thing. Regulating the shift is something that we need. Look, I don't give two rips about the pitch clock. I was a college pitcher. I like that the game goes on my time. I'm not going to take 60 seconds between pitches, but I don't like to be forced into 15 seconds either. I, I won't fight you on that. I don't... I don't have the energy to do that. I don't agree with the pitch clock, but if it comes as a part of getting a way to legislate the shift, then I'd, I'd do it in a heartbeat. The shift needs to be changed. We need to see balls that should be hits actually be hits. The game of baseball needs more action. The game of baseball needs the ball put in play more. It needs to more guys running around the bases. Balls that should be hits should actually go as hits. There's multiple ways to legislate this shift. I don't even know which one I like better. I just know one of the two would be okay. Make it so only two infielders can play on each side of the field. Make it so that you can play as many people on whatever side you want, but they all got to stay in the infield. But I know this. I'm tired of seeing line drives up the middle that should be right behind second base get gobbled up by a shortstop who's standing behind second base. I'm tired of seeing line drives that should be hits in the right field be gobbled up by a second baseman who's playing 48 feet on the outfield grass in right field. I'm tired of that. I want to see balls that should be hits be hits. And I know what all of you are thinking out there. All of you are getting ready to tell me if Major League Baseball players are so good, they should just hit it where they ain't. It's not that easy. Brady, it's easy to beat the shift. Tony Gwynn used to just slap it the other way. In 1992, you probably could get away with that. If they shifted on you in 92 and the pitcher's throwing 92, yeah, you probably can just lay the head of the bat out and beat a ball to the left side. In today's baseball, when they're throwing 98 with run under your chin on the inner half, you're not just plucking the ball to left field. It's not happening. Brady just bunt. It's easy. You should be able to bunt against the shift. Ninety-seven with movement, or an eighty-eight mile an hour slider bearing in on your front hip, tough to bunt. So pitching has gotten so good that pitching has the decided advantage. Offense needs to get some of that advantage back. Regulating the shift would help do that. Balls that should be hits should be hits. In high school, when the kids throwing seventy-five. You can control where you hit it. 98 under your knuckles, not that easy to hit. So it's not as simple as just hit it where they ain't. You need to regulate the shift. It's hard enough to hit in baseball now, period. You can't take away even more offensive momentum. And then I always see, oh, you you should be able to play defense how you want. You can't do that in any other sport. In hockey, we have rules about how you can defend the crease. In basketball, we have defensive three seconds, and you can't play in the restricted area for too long. Why? Help the offense. Open up the middle of the floor. More dunks, more passing, more cutting, more action. In football, you can't play any defense. Can't touch after five yards. Can't bump here. Can't hold. Can't have illegal contact. Can't do this movement. Can't make that movement. Every league restricts what the defense can do to help the offense. Baseball needs it far more than the NBA does. If every other sport can restrict movement for the defense, baseball can too. We need offense back in the game. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. The show is brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's online at ProDriverCDL.com. It's Vermont's premier truck driver training school. Again, ProDriverCDL.com. All right, high school basketball is coming up next. Brent Curtis will be on the call. It's Missiskoi at Montpelier. Again, our coverage beginning here at 645, about five and a half minutes from now. So Brent is on the call. It's a 15 seed Missiskoi against a two in Montpelier looking for the upset. We're on tomorrow for a full 90 minutes. We will be on tomorrow from 530 until 7. Rick Pigeon is going to stop by. Fairfax, Vermont native. NASCAR pit crew member for 23 years. Rick Pigeon, is going to stop by. Go download the podcast again, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just search for the Brady Farkas Show. Thanks to Buster. Thanks to TC. Thanks to Freddie Coleman, all of which stopped by either live or on the podcast channel. I'll see you tomorrow, everybody. It's WDEV.